Hi everyone, welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my husband and co-host Jeremy and today we are talking to Sean. Sean is a very interesting human being, very spiritual on one side as a meditation teacher, Reiki healer, sound practitioner, dedicated to help others and very nerdy on the other side with a love of pop culture, manga, etc. He started meditating as a teenager back when it wasn't a cool or trendy thing to do. He worked for 10 years in the education system, helping students find the ways, but left his career in 2021 to focus on his mindfulness and leadership practices. Enjoy the show. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to get to know you more because Jeremy's been telling me all about you. So (laughs) thank you so much. I can't wait. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm going to share a little anecdote that I was sharing with you privately just before. Uh, we connected about a month ago, I think. Uh, you're part. You're a faculty member in the yoga teacher training that I'm working on at the moment, and so we had a chat for the first time about a month ago on Zoom, and it went very well. And two days later, uh, Rosie was going to sleep, <laughs> listening to Insight Timer. She was looking for a sound relaxation to have to go to sleep, and someone starts talking, and I'm. I know this voice. I've heard this person before, uh, but I don't know where. <laughs> Can you show me the phone? And it was you. It was your voice. <laughs> and I thought it was so interesting out of, you know, now like you listen to Inside Timer to go to sleep like yeah, very was, often. Yeah. And the first time she found your track was literally two days after we talked. And I'm not a big like this is a universe kind of thing, but I've got to admit that that was very, you know, <laughs> The universe all, put like, it out there. Of all the people uh, on Sight Timer as well. Yeah. Like. Yeah. The algorithm is listening. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. The algorithm <laughs> is listening. But we can chalk it up to the universe just putting us in the yeah. same yeah. place at the same time. <laughs> so, you know, you know, you never know what, yeah, how life happens. But it's, I thought it was very interesting. <laughs> so you are, among many things, a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher. You also do Reiki and many things and you have a podcast and we're going to talk about all that. But actually, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, so you're shown, but you're also known as the Mindful Rebel online. And I'm very curious about this nickname that you picked, uh, <laughs> Mindful Rebel, you know, uh, where is that coming from? Yeah, so for me, it actually speaks to a lot of the work that I do. Um So a lot of the work that I do, whether that's the work I've done in higher education or the work that I do in the mindfulness space is particularly um, resting at the intersection of mindfulness and leadership, right? And so when I look at leadership as a concept or an idea, I think um, leaders are typically change makers, right? And there's this sort of rebellious pushback on the way we see things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've always been fascinated with leadership and what that is and how that shapes us culturally and socially. But for me, understanding that mindfulness has this lens of self-awareness, right? Like a great leader is super self-aware. So that idea of combining mindfulness and leadership, the Mindful Rebel name just kind of came up and I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to keep this. I'm going to run with this. It's kind of, this kind of fits, right? And <laughs> so, like um, yeah, it just kind of speaks to <laughs> sort of my lens in the work and how I show up in the world. Right. So as you just mentioned, you've been working for many years in the education system, right? So can you tell us a little bit about the kind of work that you were doing? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I graduated from undergrad back in 2009. 
Um, and ever since, so I'll rewind it back a little further. So <laughs> career wise, I, I initially wanted to go into like the entertainment business, right? Like I wanted to be a uh, entertainment publicist. Um, so my bachelor's degree is like in communications. And then I had one internship at a radio station and I'm like, if this is it, I don't want to know if I want to do this. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I don't know. This isn't as, uh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm. Uh, because for me, I thought about helping people, right? That's always been a, a interest of mine. And so closer towards the end of my time in undergrad, I realized like there's a lot of people on campus pouring into me and I was like, oh, you get paid to like help people. So this is a thing too, right? So I'm like, well, maybe I need to shift there. And so when I graduated from undergrad, I took my first position in student affairs as like a residence, uh, residence life uh, coordinator um, and realized that student affairs was like a whole career field, right? Like it was like, oh, their work is literally to help students get through college and help develop them, right? Help create mm -hmm. space for them to have a deeper awareness of who they are so that they are successful in their college experience and beyond, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, and I know I chalk a lot of that up to the mentors that I had while I was an undergrad, where as a first generation college student, I don't know if I would have made it through because I just didn't have a lot of that familial sort of memory of how to, oh. you know, financial aid and like, all the yeah. things and like studying and internships, all of that was right. foreign to me. And so a lot of my mentors helped me get through that. And so I wanted to kind of pay it forward and help other people in their sort of journey. And so student affairs, fast forward to now, that's about 10, a little over 10 years. Um, I enjoyed the work. Like I loved the work. I loved working with my students. You know, I've worked at different institutions <laughs> from historically black colleges and universities like Lincoln University and Morehouse to working at art specific colleges, um, all in capacities around student leadership, student development in that particular lens. But saying at the same time, like my my work in mindfulness was like running parallel to that, okay. right? Like I've been meditating back since high school. And even there, I realized I was like, well, this has been super helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I give that to other people too? Um, and so I didn't really realize, and this was before like medicine, um, I'll say meditation and yoga were, I think as popular as they are now, Trendy, uh, yeah. where it was just kind of like the people on the side kind of doing their thing. <laughs> right. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, as I got deeper in my own practice with meditation and yoga and realized that there is one viability as a teacher, but also looking at the classroom that you or the class that you teach as a yoga meditation teacher as an educational space once i started to get that lens on the work i started to look at my work in higher education and really seeing how effective is that work right because the higher and higher i was getting in student affairs like my last position i was an associate dean for um, student life and leadership I realized that there was a lot of red tape that was really keeping us from being as effective as possible and really helping students the way that we could mm. while I'm holding space for people in meditation and yoga and sound bath classes. And I'm realizing they are having the same sort of like aha moments, those same sort of connection to self. I was like, yeah, I'm, hmm, this path seems a little bit more viable right. and a little bit more um, intentional, right? When I always think about like right effort or wise effort and it felt like this is the path that made most sense. And so pair that up with burnout, right? Like um, the, during the pandemic, our work shifted and a lot of the work because I was a little bit more tech savvy in our team, a lot of the work in our pandemic shift mm -hmm. fell to me 
Um, and it just really snowballed into a level of burnout and a level of observation of where I was in life that I was like, do I want to continue down this path or am I ready to kind of move into a space that feels more in alignment with the vision I have for myself? And so, um, October of 2021, I was like, I think it's time. (laughs) I think it's time. Um, and it took a lot for me to really make the step. Like I had been thinking about it for at least two or three months before then, but it, it, it just, it, everything lined up for me to be comfortable enough to make the step and not only trust my own gifts, but trust that when I step into that level of alignment, things will make the way that it needs to in that. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of um, how that work of education sort of st- kind of transformed into something else. But I want to say less transforming and more revealing that it could look a different way. Yeah. yeah. Really interesting that so young you were interested and focused on I want to do something that's going to help other and and you know that was the trigger to not go towards the entertainment industry and to switch just because you felt uh, you, you you didn't help other people where is this desire to help people coming from you think it's a good question um and you know interestingly enough i haven't been asked that question um i think for me it it felt like and i think it connects to sort of my work in like leadership and just wanting to help people be the best versions of themselves right i believe very firmly in like servant leadership and Mm -hmm. helping other people through service and for me it just feels like it's an innate sort of calling Right. And I I think back to some of my experiences being younger, like I've experienced homelessness as a kid, um, you know, grew up in some, you know, very tough areas uh, in Baltimore and different and different things and wanting to create space that people didn't have to go through those things because they had a greater connection to who they were and a greater connection to their own talents and skills. And so for me, it just always felt like a natural calling and more like a responsibility. Right. Like it felt like a responsibility to like community, a responsibility to others around. And when, when you're young and be like more like a teenager, did you have people, mentors for you, helping you navigate maybe those difficult times and maybe they inspire you or, or it was more like, because you didn't have that, this is something you wanted to do for other people. Yeah. Um, it good. Great question. Um, I think it's a mix of both. I want to okay. say that, you know, one of my earlier sort of role models was my mom, right? Like I saw my mom, like working multiple jobs, working doubles, trying to make things work for us as a family. And so there's a work ethic and a work drive that I know that I get from her um, just by the example, seeing her, you know, as I was growing up. Um, It wasn't until I think I got into, and, and as I could think about it, like through middle school, through high school, there were teachers that I think saw something in me and kind of put their finger on the scale to kind of help, right? To help move me forward, to help support my sort of growth, to help support me. But I don't think it wasn't until undergrad, through my undergraduate experience, that I really started naming people and sort of identifying that as like, hey, this person is a mentor, this person is intentional in that way of pouring back into me. But, you know, as I as I look back, I, I can see that there are some folks all the way through my educational experience that I think 
acknowledge and saw something. And this, I think it's one of the reasons why, see y'all are asking good questions because like, things are like <laughs> clicking for me now. Uh, <laughs> but I think it, it goes back probably to the lens in which I look at education, right? It's like really sort of seeing something that others don't see and helping people connect to that, right? Like there's so many of my students when I worked at Morehouse that, you know, would talk to me about things that I would help them sort of develop their ideas and really helping move them along in a way that like, I know you might not see your potential and what you can do, but I see it. And so help, let me help you connect you to resources. Let me help uh, serve as a sounding board for you so that as you sort of continue to matriculate through that you sort of have that confidence because there's a right level of challenge and a right level of support for you in that way. Something else I find really fascinating what you were saying at the beginning is that you started meditation fairly early when it wasn't a trendy thing to do. Um, <laughs> and where is that coming from? What inspired you to meditate for the first time? Yeah. Um, and I have to be like so much more like conscious of that. Cause like when people ask like, well, what's your experience with meditation? I'm like, I've been doing this for a really long time. Yeah. Like I've, been, I've been practicing for a while. It's like some folks are new to this, not me, but, um, for me, so I've won, I've always been like a book nerd. Like I'm, I'm a nerd yeah. in general. If you can see through the background, I'm a nerd in general. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> I've always been, um, one, a, a, a book nerd, right? Like whether it's comics, manga, books, fiction, nonfiction, all of it, I'm reading. Um, and there was a book in one of my advanced placement English classes in high school called Siddhartha, um, which is still one of my favorite books um, to this day. I try to like reread it like once a year just to mm. like see something different every time you read it. But it's a for those that might not be familiar with it, it's the fictional retelling of the story of the historical Buddha. Um, and it was the one thing that showed me that meditation was like a thing. Um, mm -hmm. but two, it was also, um, really inspiring as like a journey of individuality, right? Mm -hmm. That somebody in, and I say somebody like, it's just some random person, but like the, <laughs> the character of the Buddha in the story really had to figure out their path in a really intentional way. And no matter what everyone was offering to them it didn't work for them until they created a path that made sense, right? Mm. A path that was unique for them, right? Looking at like, are you going to have the overindulgent life? Or are you going to have the far end of that spectrum? That's a more ascetic sort of life where you're, you know, bare bones living and all of that. And for him, it was like, no, nah, it's actually someplace in between. Yeah. And that level of one self-discovery and like, confidence and compassion in self was something that I think I needed as a kid, like growing up as like a black kid, growing up as a black man, growing up as like a black gay man, there was a lot of, there was a lot of ways that I felt like society was writing the narrative for me of who I should be and how I should show up in the world. Oh, yeah. And it was a book and exploration of a topic like Siddhartha that gave me confidence to make the choice for myself and not lean into a lot of those narratives. And so even when I think about meditation as a practice, I look at it from that same lens that meditation creates the space for us to slow down and look at all of the things in front of us and make the choice that is in best alignment. Right. And so for me, I carry that same sort of energy. What brought me into meditation is part of the reason why I like to teach meditation. Um, because I think in a time in which we're all sometimes given or, you know, especially folks that are a part of marginalized communities, sometimes, 
um, given specific narratives of how their life should be and how it shows up. Mm -hmm. For me, meditation is a sort of reclamation of that choice that you have a choice in how you show up in the world if you slow down and take the time to reconnect. Yeah, that is very interesting because it, what you said just reminded me of an exercise that we did last year when we did our yoga teacher training with Adrian. We, during the training, we had Diane Bondi doing a, a talk about social justice. And when, when we were talking, she said like, go on your phone, get on Google and type yoga teacher and go on Google images. And what do you see? And, and we could have done the same with meditation teacher. I'm sure it would have been exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, it was pages and pages of pages of mostly white female, very flexible, skinny woman, stuff like that. Uh, and a few men here and there. And I don't think we saw any person of color or, or anyone looking different, scroll, honestly, yeah. like compared to the other A few pages down. Yeah, sure. like maybe <laughs> yeah. page five or whatever. And yeah, so to go back to what you're seeing, like the narrative of what a black man should be based on what society is saying, uh, yeah we don't see a lot of yoga or meditation teacher uh, person of color at all. Um, it's you, you have a real minority within the minority. And, uh, and I think it's really cool. And I think it shows who you are because obviously, so that was at a time where, like I said, meditation wasn't cool <laughs> also. <laughs> and you know, when you're a teenager, like you want to be cool, you want to belong, right? And usually you pick activities, you try to do stuff that's going to make you belong to a community, to a group of people so you can hang out and, and be the cool guy or whatever. <laughs> and, um, and it takes courage to do something different, I think, to pick something that is out of the box where maybe people are going to be, I don't know, laughing at you or whatever, because it's weird or, you know, yeah. based on the standard. And, uh, and it's really interesting that you picked it up, but you stick to it <laughs> through the <Yeah>. years. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, with that, the interesting thing, I think it wasn't until, and it's funny because uh, a few of my friends that I'm really, really close with now were some of my friends from undergrad. One person in particular, my best friend, Tamisha, um, she's also sort of been in that same sort of space. So when we met in mm -hmm. undergrad, it was like, hey, you're weird too. Let's, <laughs> let's be friends. And yeah. it's, it's funny because it's like almost our whole sort of circle in undergrad is in this space, right? The mindfulness, right. yoga, meditation space. But it was like, hey, we were the weird kids back then that was sort of leaning into it. Now that it's a thing, it's like, you know, we were talking about this sort of idea. It's like a lot of our friends and family didn't realize we were doing this work. So now that they're finding it, they're coming to us to talk about it. Where it's like, well, I was trying to tell you about that like yeah. eight years ago. <laughs> but okay, cool. You came to it. Um, but I think, you know, one of those things I think is always really important is in the space of like finding your tribe. Like finding the people around you that yeah. understand you and that... Um, either embrace your weirdness or just understand it. And so, you know, I, I'm thankful for that, that, you know, I'm, I found it in high school and it was something that I'm like, well, I'll keep this to myself over in the corner, but this is really important to me to coming to college and finding people that it's like, oh, you meditate too? Oh, you light incense? You burn sage? Like you, all this, like you got crystals? Cool. And it just became something that um, was one of the things that really connected us in a way that sort of transcended some of that, sort of initial like, hey, college is over, but we're still friends and then we're keeping up. And then it's like, you're some of the closest people to me now. So I really enjoyed that, that the practice was able to kind of tie that in.
So we've talked about you doing meditation and yoga. Um, I know you also do sound and Reiki and yoga nidra. How did talk to us about all the different things that you do and how they all started? Yeah, <laughs> thanks for asking that. Um, I always joke and say that like I entered the yoga space backwards <laughs> because I started with all these other practices and like probably my not probably my my yoga teacher training sort of you know certification and training. They're actually like my most recent trainings or last trainings, oh, just because. Okay. And and I say that I said that early on, and now I say it sort of. Um, ironically because you know we um, of course we all realize yoga is more than the physical practice and so mm. meditation is yoga right but you know i've been into meditation kind of got into the energy healing piece reiki was the first sort of um modality that i kind of like got under my belt the piece that i studied first took a training in and i'm like okay cool like energy had always been a thing and i just never had a language for it for me like it's something like i've, I've always been very intuitive tapped in in that way, just never understood that this was a thing. And so um, I ended up taking a Reiki training and literally a month later, um, I got connected to sound healing. There was a, here in Atlanta, there's a museum called the Fernbank Museum. And it's like a museum, planetarium, all that good stuff. Mm. And a friend of a friend invited us to a sound bath in a planetarium, right? So, I mean, it's like wow. the planetarium set up with the, the sound, right? You can just imagine how like dope that is. So. <laughs> Mind you, I've never experienced a sound bath at that point. I'm just like, I'll go. Sure. It's at the planetarium. It's like, worst comes to worst. I'll just look at the stuff around. Yeah. Right? Um, and so, you know, I experienced that whole evening and I was like, holy mess. Like, I, this is this is it. Right. Like, this is the this is the modality that resonated in this, this really different way. And so immediately when it was over, I found the woman uh, who was my sound healing teacher, Danielle Hall. Um, and asked her, I was like, so how do you learn how to do this? Cause this kind of, this hit different, right? There was something different about this that I'm like, yeah, uh, as the universe aligns it, right? Like I did Reiki training in November. I did like the, uh, the event in December, she had a training in January. And so I mm -hmm. joined her training and our apprenticeship program. And then from there, um, later on in that year started actually holding classes on my own and creating space once I finished her training and apprenticeship program. And from there, it just, I wanted to continue to deepen my practice, right? I realized, you know, combining meditation, combining the energy healing part, part of it, using sound, because I mean, we're all so connected to sound in so many different ways. It was a beautiful way to help people slow down and reconnect with themselves. But what pushed me to continue that is I wanted to one deepen the experience, which is where Yoga Nidra came in, um, a way to help people um, one rest because a lot of the communities that I work with, you know, we have a really complicated relationship with rest, mm -hmm. and so helping people do that. But there was uh, an accessibility reason why I decided to move forward with yoga, right? Because there was, and I'll never forget this. And I, every time I do sound healing trainings for people, um, you know, I talk about this one specific incident, you know, there's a organization that I do sound bass for here in Atlanta. It's a nonprofit called urban perform. And we get a lot of black and brown people coming to the practice, experiencing it for the first time. And there was an older woman that came into the practice, right? And you know, with sound baths, you're like, Hey, you're laying on the floor, you bring in your, your pillows, your, your, all the things to make yourself comfortable. And this older woman came into the space and she pulled up a chair and she sat the chair down in the middle of the room and she just sat in the chair. 
And so, you know, I was, you know, I'm like just observing, you know, people are coming in. So I'm going around peace, um, talking to people and I went over and I'm like, Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the event. You know, um, got any questions? Uh, you realize um, this is a practice that you can experience like laying on the floor, not in a chair, but you know, cool. And she's like, yeah, baby, uh, uh, the way my back is set up and the way, you know, things are happening in my body, right. getting on the floor is not an option for me. Mm. And so from there, I was like, cool, understandable. Yeah. That instance was the instance that made me say, was like, I want to be able, I said, if I realize I want to work with my community in this way, understanding what sometimes we come to the table with and in instances around health and wellness, I want to be able to better serve someone coming into my space from that perspective, right? Um, and so there I was like, all right, well, I've been running away, running away from this yoga teacher training thing, but let me do this so I can better articulate. Because when, you know, when I got certified in sound um, and did my apprenticeship, there wasn't a lot of sound healing certifications and a lot of those things. So the the idea of bringing in conversations around the body and around movement wasn't really there, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was like, well, I want to supplement that information. And that's where it was like, hey, let me look into my yoga teacher training. Even if, like for me, I really am not a, a asana teacher. I, the, I'll teach restorative. I'll do yin sometimes because I've done some uh, further uh, certifications in yin. But in terms of technically my 200 hour is vinyasa. But for me, I just wanted the knowledge of like the body. Yeah. Um, and so that's where sort of that exploration of, you know, the additional piece adding in the asana started to come in. And then from there, I realized, well, I was like, well, technically there are other styles. So even if I don't teach vinyasa, I can teach restorative and teach uh, yin. And so furthering that sort of education down that way, knowing they're all tools to help people connect to stillness in a really unique way. So that's why I say, yeah, come in backwards. But for me, it was really about the how to better support the people that are in my space, the people that are coming to my class. I want to be able to help somebody experience the practice and not have a barrier of a bad back or, you know, in ability to get on the floor or coming in because they're in a wheelchair and maybe not understanding that they can still experience the practice just the same, right? I want to be able to have the language to articulate, to really connect people to the practice um, in whatever way their body brings them into it. Bloody loved all of that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God, yes. Yes to all of that. <laughs> Thank you. Can I, before you carry it, can I ask you about Reiki? Cause... I was going to ask about that. Oh, okay. Because it's one of those things where I think it's a bit like when you had the experience with the sound healing, you kind of think, oh, okay, I'll go and listen to some music and that'll be fun, whatever. And then you go and it's like, I, I had the same experience when you, like, you get tingles and you're like, holy shit, what is this? Like, how have mm. I not done this before? And then you kind of, can't not do it again but i've never experienced reiki and i like i'm one of those people that struggles to understand it <laughs> and believe it and i know that's probably not a great thing to say to somebody who practices it no. but is it one of those things you think that maybe somebody should experience to then understand or i don't know what's your kind of how do you explain to someone who doesn't really understand it yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a really good question because I get this quite often with Reiki. Um, mm. I, one, I would say Reiki is sort of that space in which there's a Reiki practitioner that's one, and it's a really big piece to that I think is important around the work is that it's a space to hold space for somebody else while there's sort of an energetic exchange happening. 
mm-hmm. um, that Reiki practitioner is essentially channeling in sort of that universal energy into that person to allow that energy, one, to help release any blockages and really help that sort of even flow of energy in the body. Mm-hmm. What I, I do suggest that when people are like, what is it? I don't know. <laughs> um, I would say like experience Reiki, but also experience Reiki in a way that you feel like may be the best connection for you. So, you know, when I first um, did my Reiki level one and level two, you know, I was kind of, I was like, I, I enjoyed this, but I'm not sure if the, the traditional like, hey, hands on the person sort of practice is the way that I envisioned doing it. And it wasn't until, you know, I got certified in sound and I started utilizing that, that I realized that my Reiki practice is through sound healing, right? Mm. That there is a channeling of that energy through, through sound to connect with people. So for me, anytime that I do a Reiki session or have private clients, it's typically channeled through. There might be some sort of hands-on support depending on how the energy flows, but there will always be <laughs> some sort of sound in the in the equation. And so I tell people that look at Reiki as a practice that can assist other practices and help um, take them to another level of depth, but also look at it through a lens in which maybe there's a way that you connect. I know a lot of people who um, are sort of like into crystals and gems in that way. Mm. And then there's, there are Reiki practitioners that literally channel their Reiki energy. Like there's crystal, crystal Reiki healing. Right. And so like, if that's sort of your lens on energy work, then maybe exploring a practitioner that utilizes those as means to channel the energy, um, in that way. But no, I get it. I, I have a lot of people that <laughs> ask that question and like, mm, is it really something or is it, you know, is it my mind? It's like, no, it's, it's real what you know I, I think it's it's really on the approach and sort of when you find the right practitioner that works for you too i think i guess also some of it must be your mindset going into it like if you go into it thinking this is a load of bullshit what we're doing here it's not going to work it's probably not going to work whereas if you go in there being like okay i'm open to the experience i'll see what happens like i guess that's also a major part in how it works or doesn't work i guess with the people that you're doing the reiki with yeah, because if you just think about it, like if we go into any situation with a level of resistance, it's harder for us to take in yeah. what's really happening, yeah. right? And so if we come in from an open, with an open mind and sort of open heart, it's it creates an opportunity for us to maybe lean into it in a different way and maybe receive a level of a benefit that, well, maybe it wasn't this thing, but this came up for me in the space, right? Kind of releasing ourselves from sort of expectation and allowing whatever comes yeah. up in the space to come up in that way. I had an experience once and it makes me think about it because I, what you were saying, Rosie, is that I don't understand it and maybe we don't need to understand it also. Yeah. <laughs> like, because we, as human beings, we feel that we have to understand everything and, and put a definition or a label on it when maybe some things are a bit harder to define and to rationally understand with the worlds that we have at, at the moment. Um, when I was younger, when I was like, I don't know, a bit, 18, 19, something like that. I had some very weird rash on my body one day that came up. And I don't I still don't know why, to be honest. It came up, but it was something pretty bad, like on my chest and shoulder area. I went to a doctor with my parents and the doctor was like, you can take this pill, uh, it's gonna dry it out and stuff like that, and it's it's gonna take months to to get away. And it was very painful, very itchy. Like I was going mad with it. And I was like, if I have to live without like two months, I'm going to go nuts. And my dad had a friend 
in my small town that was doing, I don't know, in French, we called it like, if I'm translating it, like a magnetizer, mm. uh, we call it. And I don't know what, it, you know, the practice behind it, call it, I think, you know, call it Reiki, call it whatever you want. But he was doing some healing and he called him. I was like, hey, can you see my son tonight? Because he's got this thing. Um, I was like, yeah, sure. Like, come and, and, and we'll see. And I laid on this table to my drop off. And he just rubbed his hand. And he didn't touch me at all. He was just hovering his hands over my, my rash. And three days later, it was gone. And to this day, I have no idea what happened. I don't understand that. Um, <laughs> my experience, what I could feel what I would say, some sort of heat, some sort of, it wasn't touching me, but I could feel something happening, some exchange of, call it energy, heat, warmth, some waves, I don't know, like something like that. I could feel something, but I don't know what. I'd have no idea how it happened, uh, but it worked. <laughs> and you had a Reiki session, like I, my friend. <laughs> yeah, like I said, to this day, I have no idea. I, I can't explain it. It's so weird. I understand that it doesn't make any sense, but... Like, you've told me that story, and I know you wouldn't lie, but I kind of still don't yeah. believe you. Like, no, I'm still I, like, really? I get it. Did it's really very confusing. <laughs> I think um, it's one of those things you have to experience yourself, yeah. and otherwise it just makes no sense. But my, well, my, for me anyway. my point is that I try to understand, and I just, I just <laughs> don't, and it's been 15 years pretty much, you know, and I gave up on understanding. I just, you know, if it happened again, I'll go back. That's all. Yeah, and I think, you know, to that point, one, you're right. I think sometimes, you know, I think it's just natural for us as people. We just want to understand, you know, mm. it's just us as humans. We want to ex- understand everything that's happening. And I think I'm a firm believer, call it my years of being indoctrinated by sci-fi and um, <laughs> all of this. But, you know, I just still believe there are a lot of things that we're just not aware of and that we have the full sort of knowledge and recollection around. But I do think from a like an energy healing perspective, there's a lot to say about like intention setting in spaces, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, and we, we talk about this a lot in sound healing. Uh, there's a sound healing, like he's like the grandfather of sound healing. His name is Jonathan Goldman. He does a, a lot. He's been doing sound healing research, I think back since the 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, he talks about or has this equation like sound plus intention equals healing, right? And the idea is that like, yes, it's, you know, you can, there's some scientific reasons why like stuff like sound healing works, right? Like there's the connection with the body, but on an energetic level, part of that work is around the intention that's set by the sound practitioner and the person receiving sound, right? Mm. That if those two intentions are in alignment, there's a way and there's a space for some more sort of energetic movement to happen around that. And so even when I think about your situation, where like, if you came in and you're like, I'm ready to release whatever this is. And that guy is like, hey, I'm ready to help him release whatever right. this is. There's a natural sort of alignment around intention that can create space for us to start to release some of the things that are, um, that are that we're working with or working through in that way. And that's one of the things I tell people quite often when they ask about like sound healing, like, well, what is this thing? Like, does it work? And all of that. And it's like, it's a, it's a, I think healing in general, or when you think about like energy healing, I, I feel like it's more of a, a relationship than like a service, right? That like, you know, people like, I'm coming to you as a sound healer because you're going to heal all my ailments and all those things. And it's like, it's that's part of that. But part of that is around the space that's being created and the intention mm-hmm. that we're setting in the space. And all of that plays into 
whatever the outcome of healing is for that person um, in that in that sort of relationship there. Interesting way to see it. Did you have any prior experience with music? And I know that sound healing isn't music, but there must be some, you need to understand rhythm or some sort of knowledge behind music. Did you have any experience beforehand or was it all completely new to you when you took your courses? So yeah, I, <laughs> good question. Um, outside of me wanting to be a part of the music industry in some capacity, I also like have had this real sort of uh, connection to music in terms of like instrumentation and like, you know, not that I'm like listening to always the classical music, but even like in hip hop, rap, R&B, any genre of music, I'm a big EDM fan. Like I'm really big on instrumentation and production. So even in there, like I'm like, I'm the nerd that's like, listens like, did you hear that string in the back? Like on that one <laughs> section of the song, like that was amazing. And they're like, I heard the person singing over the beat. I didn't hear that. So for me, I've always yeah. been very detailed about like the instrumentation of music. Um, right. And for me, I've always said that I wanted to explore music deeper, not realizing that this connection with sound healing probably was that lane for me. And I just didn't realize or have the language back then, even though we know like sound healing isn't necessarily music, but there's a connection to what it can do for you on a sonic mm. level that has always been something that's been really interesting for me when I listen to music or when I've connected to music or even understand how other people connect to music and songs. And so I would say that it, there was a strong sort of interest in a refined ear that I had, but in mm -hmm. terms of having like a formal training in music, there hadn't been that. There has just always been a really sort of uh, deep connection to it. Because I think with sound healing, you've kind of got to understand when when to do the certain notes and the certain like sounds and to make it flow, but also like part of, not that I know a lot about it, but I know it's part of sound healing is that it is just different noises and that's what relaxes your mind because you can't predict what's coming next. So there's got to be some sort of like Logic. science behind it, <laughs> even though it's also like there's the opposite of that. Like, I don't know, is, does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, you know, I get that. That's a question I get asked often. Like, it's like, hey, when you're like doing a sound bath, like, do you go in with like a plan and that you know you're going to this bowl to this bowl to this bowl to this bowl and you're going to round it out over here and it's like yeah. typically there's an arc to like a sound bath right like there's a you know you're going to start with lower tones you're going to move and i always and it's great because i'm talking to yoga teachers right the same way where when we think about putting together a yoga sequence right there's mm -hmm. like there was warm up there's a peak pose and then there's a cool down yeah. I look at that same sort of flow with the sound bath, right? That there's sort of warm up, like you're not going to come in and just smack the gong hard and get everybody started, <laughs> but you're going to work in and maybe the gong is your peak instrument. And so you want to mm. go with that sound and instrumentation when people are comfortable and then you wind people down. But outside of keeping that sort of arc, for me, it's very intuitive sort of play, right? Like I'll put out specific instruments um, that I'm like, all right, I want to bring this. I know I want to use this sound. I want to have this and have this space. But in terms of going by bowl to bowl or here to here and having a whole sort of mapped out sequence, it's less of that and more like an intuitive play, um, especially when I'm in person, because there's a there's the ability to start to notice how it's affecting people in the room um, mm -hmm. when sort of knowing when to ease up and pull back or whether to kind of push it forward a little bit. Um, it, it, there's that sort of interplay uh, with folks there, but yeah, it's a lot of intuition uh, in playing. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I might chalk that up to um, sort of my interest in listening to music and knowing some of those subtle layers mm -hmm. and knowing sort of where to take that for whatever arc I'm trying to have for people in the class. Mm. 
So you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago about doing using your knowledge to you know help um, underserved underserved communities and and things like that. And I'm very curious what's your approach when when you do that because um, and don't correct me if I'm wrong, but you know most of the time when you go to yoga studio, when you go to yoga classes and stuff like that, again, I'm, I'm going to see people that look like me, you know, I'm going to see a 99% of white people and things like that. Uh, I have the feeling as from my own point of perspective that uh, the yoga, the meditation, the mindful is not deep into the black community at, at the moment. And that might be because there is a lack of teachers also that uh, are trying to serve those communities. But do you feel any resistance when you try to teach, you know, uh, sound healing meditation to the communities you're, you're serving? Um, not resistance as much as I would say, like curiosity, right? Okay. I think that and I'll and I'll chalk a lot of this up. I noticed there was a lot of curiosity pre pandemic, but I think even like at, during and like as we're wherever we feel like we are at this moment, whether we're coming out of it, whether, hey, it's about to start back up, wherever we are now, um, I think that there's a curiosity and people are looking for ways to reconnect, right? And so what I've noticed is that I will get a lot of people that are curious. Um, and it was part of the reason why I did the work, I guess I did, I do the work that I do with Urban Perform and some of the other sort of um, spaces that I'm teaching in is that I think sometimes people and this is one of the things that I've noticed in some yoga spaces is that there isn't always the grace or the safety to ask questions and be inquisitive. Mm. Um, and so for me, it's something that I really sort of um, take to heart around creating a space where people can ask those questions, can be curious, can explore all of those things, because typically the people that I'm able to connect with in my practice I might be the first person that they've connected with right around these mm. particular modalities and practices. And so I want people to feel empowered after they leave a session and feel comfortable enough that whether it's with me or not, that they feel comfortable to explore a little bit more that they were like, wow, I had this really amazing experience with these singing bowls. This might not be as weird as I thought it was. <laughs> Let me go on Insight Timer or go on YouTube or find another practitioner or come back um, to one of my classes and continue this because there was something that um, resonated with you in the experience, whether it was the sound itself, whether it was the environment that we created, whether it was whatever insight came up for you in the space. I want there to be some sort of takeaway that allows people to see themselves in the practice. Um, there was one, so I... Um, I think I mentioned the last place that I worked at in higher ed was Morehouse College. And for those that might not be familiar, Morehouse is a historically black college, all male college. So um, like all black men um, at this college. And I used to teach yoga and meditation there um, as you know, outside of the work that I did, I would teach yoga and meditation specifically around midterms and finals to provide like stress relief for them. Right. That's pretty cool. And I'll never forget that there was a first year student that came up afterwards and said, hey, I just really appreciate you. I didn't realize that this was for us. And he was very candid and was like, I didn't realize that people that weren't like thin white women did yoga, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And he was like, 
I'm going to go look this up and, and like do it. And it was like, when's the next time you're teaching? I'm like, well, I kind of only do it for midterms and finals. But, you know, it was like, I was like, just reach out to me. I got you. I'll connect you to some resources. But it's it's that sort of aha moment to realize that like, hey, I see somebody in this that looks like me. Um, that's also embodying the work in a way that feels sort of authentic in that way. Um, I also realized that I'm like a larger guy too. And that's another thing that isn't, always um, represented in the yoga space where, mm. you know, there's a movement, I, there's a lot of great people that, that are doing work that are people of color, black folks, um, queer folks that are taking up space in the wellness industry in a way that is really, really sort of representative. And that's great. Um, and for me, I also acknowledge that some of those people are smaller folks. So it's also good for me um, to be in spaces to show that like, body type doesn't always matter in that way too, because there's sort of this idea that when men do get in, it's like, oh, it's athletic men or like mm -hmm. former athletes are teaching, right? That it's like, hey, if you got a little belly, a little gut, you can still do yoga. You can still do all the good <laughs> things or you can still meditate, even though you might not necessarily see that aesthetic um, in front of you in that way. That's a very powerful moment. Yeah. Having this, this, this guy saying that to you and I can understand it because I mean, from my own perspective, when I started yoga, I said, Rosie, like, no, this is a thing for girls. I don't want to go there. It's, it's just, just stretching. It's, it's just, just girls girl stretching, right? So, no, like, And I was like, you come me. along and you let me know what you think. And yeah. it was like, fuck, it's not And after that. my first class, I was like sweating and I was like, yeah, you got your ass handed to your first class. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm wrong about that. Thank you. Um, but yeah, no, but that's really interesting. And, and, and this is a question I wanted to ask you also is, the lack of representativity, right? Uh, we tend to join groups, we tend to identify with people that look like us. And when you join the space of meditation and, and yoga, did you have someone that looked like you that you were identifying with? Yeah, um, a few people. Um, what I'll say is that like, so one of the people that kind of like pined for me was my, my best friend, Tamisha, who you know, we were friends together in undergrad. She, she's been in the yoga game for a while. Like even I think right, right when we graduated from undergrad, she took her first yoga teacher training. So she's mm. been like, now she has a yoga studio, a health center. Like she's in the space in that way, but she was one of the first people that I saw in the space that I'm like, oh, cool. And then she was connected to a studio of mainly black and brown folks in Maryland. And then sort of as I started to connect in the space myself, I started seeing more people. You know, I know earlier you mentioned Diane Bondi, like Diane was one of the earlier people that I saw that I'm like, wow, like, okay, there's some of us in this doing some work yeah. um, and really sort of moving and making change um, and speaking on it too. Um, you know, and I appreciate Diane's sort of consistent candor around what's happening in the space and being very transparent around that. Um, there's other folks, um, which I went to a retreat maybe about two weekends ago. Um, Ralph Gates is another person that, um, for me, uh, a black man um, who's like a yoga OG from back, back, back in the day. Um, he's almost been teaching, I think he mentioned teaching yoga meditation for over like 25 years. Like he's somebody that, you know, after reading his book and checking out a lot more about him, who's kind of motivated me to be in the space. But, you know, I think that there's, um, I think in the last couple of years, there's a lot more folks emerging, black and brown folks showing up and being in the space. And I think it's a consistent motivator across the board because there are folks that I see coming in or kind of came into the space around the same time. And I'm like, 
good shit. Like I see the, I see where you are and where you're moving in the space. And I'm like, that's great work for all of us because the more and more people that we get into the space that are teaching classes that are on different platforms that are also helping teach other people, mm-hmm. I think helps sort of break down some of those barriers that are mm-hmm. sort of been baked into the wellness space, into the yoga and the meditation space that whether intentionally or unintentionally keeps other people that look like me out of the space. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mix. It's a mix of, of folks that have been sort of that in, mm-hmm. inspiration um, and being into the, in the space. What I find really also interesting about you is uh, to go back to what I said before about being courageous to keep meditating when you were a teenager, uh, when it was not a cool thing to do. Uh, well, deciding to leave the uh, what would society would call a very safe, normal job, uh, you know, working in, edu- in education after years of, you know, you, you had a really good position, you were good at what you were doing and everything. and leaving that behind to jump into the uncertainty of entrepreneurship into a very, I don't know, spiritual woo-woo domain. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, what the hell are you doing with your life? You know, like many people would say that, right? Listen, uh, I've asked myself that question <laughs> a lot of times over the last couple of months. But yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it takes courage to follow your guts and, and, and actually do it. <laughs> Um, did you have yeah, this internal struggle? Like, is that the right thing that I'm doing? And... Hell yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like I, I would say that it was a really difficult decision. And prior to me making this decision, I realized I needed to make this decision. But it was a lot of fear, um, a lot of um, imposter syndrome, a lot of mm. not necessarily knowing. And then also that I, I know a lot of that has been, you know, as I unpacked what I was feeling, realizing that a lot of that is not knowing or seeing a lot of examples in the space yeah. in that way that have stepped out in that uh, that um, way. Even in my family, like regardless of whether it's yoga or meditation teaching, like not a lot of people are entrepreneurs, right? It's yeah. always been taught, go to college, get a job, work nine to five, do yeah. like step A, B, C, D, that's the way. And so, you know, it, it took some time to get comfortable with it. But what I realized is that sticking to this sort of pre-prescribed way of living and showing up in the world was starting to actually affect my mental health and affect how I was showing up. And I told myself I never wanted to be, even as an educator, I never wanted to be the person that was just there collecting a check because I knew I was somebody that was fortunate enough to find a career and not necessarily find, you know, a career connected to passion and not working a job. But the minute it started to feel like a job, it was time for me to go. And that's where I started to get in higher ed. And so it was, hey, keep doing this and feel drained every day or take this step in work that feels like it's the right space. And knowing how I feel when I'm doing this work, how do I get more of this and not more of the draining feeling that I was having um, in higher ed and student affairs? And so, it, you know, there was a tipping point for me that was like, okay, it's, it's time to do this. And what was really that point for me was, so understanding like, you know, I was at Morehouse during the pandemic, right? We transitioned virtual through the first year of the pandemic. And last fall, we were pushing to get back to like the way things were, right? And it was, it started to get problematic for me because I'm like, 
hey, we've learned some great things doing virtual. There's ways that we can be better supportive of students. There's ways that we can be mindful of like overtaxing staff, staying late, all those kind of things. We probably shouldn't throw everything out. We should probably figure out how we integrate both approaches, right? Because, mm. you know, we don't have to throw out all the virtual things we were doing just in lieu of the fact that now we can be in person. And then there were, for me, there was just this push in going back to the way, the old way things were. And it was that sort of shift that I was like, I, mm, no, no. And that's all that just kept happening. I was like, no, <laughs> no. Yeah. So let me, and I'm, I'm big on observing, like if there's a situation that I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm big on, cre on evoking change in spaces. Right. But I also am being more cognizant around like, is this space wanting of change? And if not, there, there are choice, there's a choice there, right? Do you want to keep hitting your head against the wall yeah. or do you want to remove mm -hmm. yourself from the situation? And for me, it was, uh, I'm going to hit option two <laughs> and it's like it was time to go mm -hmm. but i was it's, it's those instances that i was really like appreciative of having a consistent practice because it was in my and i think it connects back to just the conversation we started out with just about meditation being a sort of a vehicle of observing choice that it was in my practice it was in the depth of my practice that i was able to connect to the, the ability and the idea that like you can do this and I don't think if I had those sort of still points, those still moments that really gave me a glimpse in like, look at all the things that you do and you're not even giving it all the energy that you could give to it. So just imagine what you could do if you were able to redirect all your energy into these things, right? And so there was a, you remember who you are? Do this because you'll be fine, right? And so that sort of narrative came up so much in my meditation practice that it gave me the sort of confidence to, to actually step into that. Um, and so, you know, I'm always telling people like, you know, meditation is a vehicle for choice for me because it, it's helped me out in some of my biggest sort of transition points in life. What's amazing about your story also is, and around your career is everything and all your decisions have been driven by your desire to help other people. Like, I want to be in the entertaining business. Oh, I'm not reaching out and helping people. So let's try something else. Let's go into education because I know I can have an impact and make a difference. I'm going to do this for X amount of years and then, okay, this is not resonating anymore. I'm going to switch to something else and I'm going to do something where I can help other people. And basically you, you're helping people just with different tools and different practices along your entire life. It's really interesting, you know, to see this pattern mm. that whatever you're doing, whatever tools you're using at the moment, the goal remains the same. And maybe in 20 years, it's going to be something different <laughs> that you're going to be doing, <laughs> but I'm sure the intention and the, 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 the goal behind it will be around helping out a bunch of people it's really interesting to see this pattern yeah uh, and it, it took me a while to, to even notice that right like i a few years ago i was really at a place where like i felt like i was wearing like 40 different hats and i'm like well how the hell do all these things connect like you know and i felt very um disconnected in the way like i'm like i'm a student affairs practitioner um i'm teaching yoga and meditation um 
uh, a graphic designer. I'm a coach. I'm a photographer. Like there are all these things that I do. And then I was like, well, what the hell do all these things have in common? And for me, it's starting to see the connective tissue, right? Like for all of them, it's been about helping people, right? Even down to like graphic design, like I realized like who I like to work with as clients with graphic design are typically new businesses that are figuring it out, right? Mm -hmm. So in my exploration with helping them create their brand, it's also helping them clarify what their brand is too, right? There's a helpful sort of component. Same thing with photography for me, it's, it's having people almost have that space to feel confident and comfortable in themselves in that exploration of the photo shoot. And so when I started to look at all those things and it's like, yeah, it's really about helping people and helping people connect to themselves. It started to be a lot easier to not only say yes to certain things, but then also release the need to do everything. Cause I'm like, well, if it's not in service to this sort of underlying um, connective thread between everything, then for me, it's not, necessarily shouldn't always be on the radar and in the past i've been the kind of person that would overextend themselves and say yes to everything in a way to like well if i do this i can do this and i can do all these things to help out um not realizing that i was also um <laughs> contributing to my own burnout and so <laughs> yeah once i had that sort of clarity in connection to like what is it that i'm sort of meant to do here it it really helped in how I'm showing up in the world and really sort of focusing all my energy to be in that sort of space. What I love about you <laughs> is you're such a multifaceted human being, you know, with, again, based on, you know, what society tells us that we should be, like, you have very extreme interests, very, like, things that, you know, uh, when you're in education system, it's something very rational, uh, stuff like that. And but you have the spiritual side of it, which is the opposite of that. You, you also very spiritual, but you're also like a nerd that loves manga and tech and does graphic design. When usually, you know, you, those people usually are not really tech savvy. Uh, it's very interesting how you're like <laughs> having all those facets, I think, and and those things that should be polarizing and ex and opposite you're like bringing all of them together i i, I don't know i find it really cool <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you it's it's taking some time to get comfortable with it but <laughs> man listen it's just like this is this is me this is who i am like you know i think yeah, i think in age like it or I'm, not but yeah yes, I, love that. I think in age i've gotten more comfortable i'm just like look this is this is who i am this is what i do yeah <laughs> yeah like it or not i don't know but no thank you <laughs> It's been so nice talking to you, Sean. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I, this has been like a blast. Like, I'm just like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always nervous. I feel like I'm terrible at talking about myself, but uh, I, it's been great just because y'all are so like comfortable. So like I'm like shooting it with some friends. So thank y'all. Thank y'all so you much. This is what we want. You we want good. to forget about the mic and just having a chat and catching up and, and we happen to record it. <laughs> right. Like I'm, I'm ignoring the whole interface around. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm just, just kicking it with some friends. So, yeah. We do have one question though, something that we like to ask people when we remember. So if you could have a conversation with anybody who's either dead or alive, famous or not famous, who you think would be the most interesting person, who do you think you would choose and what would you want to talk about? Hmm. Dead or alive, famous or not famous, either way. Literally anybody. anybody, yeah, yeah, anybody. Huh. 
That is a really good <laughs> question. For me, it would probably be, and this is probably a very polarizing um, answer, um, but um, uh, I'll just say it. It would honestly probably be uh, Kanye West, to be honest. Mm, oh. Yeah. Um, he's been, you know, re the recent five or six years shenanigans aside, he has yeah. been somebody that has been very um, influential in my development and growth in terms of mm. another seeing another black man sort of embracing sort of their creativity and who they are um, yeah. in a really unique way and, and quite often a very unapologetic way. Um, yeah. And so for me, I would want to pick his brain a little bit. And I would ask about like, man, what's been happening these last couple of years? Cause it's been, it's been a little crazy. <laughs> what's going but, on? <laughs> yeah, like, what, what, what's really happening? But from a creative perspective, he's a, yeah. a, a mind that I would love to like, if I could just sit down for an hour, I just like, look, I got like 60 questions. Yeah. Let's rapid fire real quick, please. <laughs> Um, but yeah, <laughs> ah, interesting. We didn't have, we never had this answer before. I like yeah, it. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting asking people that because sometimes it's someone we've never heard of before, and then sometimes mm. it's someone who you're like, hmm, okay, or sometimes you're like, oh my god, yes, me too. And it's like it's such an interesting question <laughs> yeah. to ask so many different people. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, I will make sure to leave your website, your Instagram, and place where we podcast. can listen to yeah your podcast where place we can listen to your meditation your sun realization your youtube the everything so people can check your check everything that you do and yeah i'm very excited to be collaborating on this training with you uh i i, I love the the intention behind the work that you do you know uh it's very authentic and and meaningful for you you can we can feel that we can feel the energy to go back to the theme <laughs> uh, and you know this is this is what we want you know when we work with people and 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 chat with people is having this in intentionality behind it is really cool and that's what makes connection with other human being nice and and, and real i think yeah listen you know? thank i want to say thank you to both of you for just inviting me into your platform and invited me into your community like this has just been really like sincerely an amazing uh, conversation um yeah i just want to say thank you thank you both yeah, thanks thanks for your time we really thank appreciate you. it thank, thank you. you so much it's i mean you have an amazing voice as well by the way i've just got to tell you thank so you. relaxing i've just been sat here like oh my god i could listen to it all day but no thank you so much for sharing your story so inspiring so amazing um yeah i can't wait to see the videos you do for the training for the yoga teacher training that's going to be amazing as well i'm excited for that <laughs> yeah so thank you so much for your time thank you everybody watching on youtube listening on the podcast make sure you subscribe comment leave a review do all of the things and we'll be back next wednesday with a brand new episode bye, bye.